Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. My name is Tamala Shaw. I am your host. And today I have a fantastic guest. Her name is Michelle Shikana. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I'm sure you've heard this on other podcasts because I try to shout out Podmatch. We met on Podmatch, which is a wonderful place for people who want to be interviewed with, you know, with hosts that are mm-hmm. hosts of podcasts. Absolutely. So I'm blessed enough to be able to have met you on there. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have this phenomenal episode because you have an extraordinary life story. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, welcome to the show. And Michelle, Michelle, if you don't mind, tell us, tell us about yourself, some of your, what you'd like okay. to share with us. Okay. So um, I'm middle-aged, so we'll throw that out there. And as Oprah says, I've earned every year mm-hmm. and every line, every wrinkle. And um, I own that. I'm a woman who was a stay-at-home mother for over 20 years. I was married for over 20 years. And I'm a licensed healthcare worker, although when my son was born, um, I stopped working because he has some special needs. And I had met my former husband, uh, and within six to eight weeks, he proposed to me in front of 50 people. And some would say that was beautiful, and some would say that that's a huge red flag, which back in the day, before cell phones and the internet, we really didn't know. It just seemed very chivalrous. And I was a little older, and I was established in my career, so it just kind of went with the flow of that. But what I did not know was I really didn't know who I was marrying. And we just kind of went through the the motion of getting married, a house, a child, a business, all of that. And when my son was born, when he was little, he decided to start doing date nights. And date nights were Saturday nights and my parents would watch the baby and that sort of thing. Well, it went from just going out to a restaurant and what have you to, well, we want to go out with these group of people. Okay. And mm-hmm. then it was, we want to go out with these, this group of people to dinner, but tonight we're going to go to a club and where I live, the clubs are open very, very late or early, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. And then there were drugs introduced. Mm-hmm. And so I don't come from that. I come from a traditional religious household. Uh, my parents are still married even after 60 years. And uh, my father was the man of the house and still is. And my mother, the woman of the house, and he's a medical professional and she supported him in that. And she also raised many children because I'm the youngest of quite a few, a big family, mm-hmm. which is what I wanted. So when that happened, I thought, okay, this is the man of my house. This is, you know, my king. I'm going to go ahead and you know, he, he understands he's going to protect me. And, and that's how he sold it. Don't worry about it. Don't be there. Right. So there was a, yeah, I had a lot of trust and that wasn't easy for me back then, but it was, you know, I did, I trusted him. I'm like, okay. And he's like, come on, everyone's doing it. And like the pressure was on and I was like, okay. Now at that point, you know, I was, I was in my late twenties and I didn't realize that I, I didn't have the confidence in that realm because in my career I absolutely did. And you know, one doesn't always equal the other. Mm-hmm. And I did not and you could be any age, because even in my fifties, when it comes to relationships, I'm not as strong as I am in my career and who I am as a as a woman, as a human being. Mm-hmm. So it, it you know, that went on for a little bit and then it stopped and then I had another child and she also had some issues. So now I have two special needs kids. I'm at home. I had 
started, he had started a business and I supported him in that. And then I had to stay at home and take care of these two children. And at that point I become PTA president, room parent. I'm on the board of, you know, my religious organization. I'm doing fundraisers. I'm doing women's groups. I'm doing all of that in my community. And I'm raising these two kids with all the doctors and the teachers and the school board. And so I'm involved in that. And I started my own business, which I could do on nights and weekends, but he didn't want that because A, I had my own money and he couldn't do anything with it. And B, it took away from my caregiving because, and then at that point he had to take care of the kids himself and he didn't like that. And it wasn't every night and it wasn't every weekend. It was, you know, once in a while and it was just too much for him because he couldn't control it. And again, you know, in the, in the thick of that, I didn't realize that was what, what it was because, you know, I said, I said in another show, if, if you are or have ever been with somebody who's in sales and they're great at it, they know how to work it. Absolutely. Yeah. They know how to convince you that it's your decision um, or it's your fault or here's blame and shame and you question yourself. You know, we call it gaslighting now. Yes. Yes. Um, back then it was just, you know, it was selling me, you know, we didn't know from gaslighting, but um, so that kind of went, so that stopped there. And then with the second child, um, I was, I was at home and I thought things were great and his business thrived, but I could notice a change in his own behavior. Um, I was told that he would go to work and disappear for a couple of hours and nobody knew where he was or, um, he would be on his computer with the door locked for hours and nobody could get in and he'd be going away to, um, a show for work and he'd be getting massages in his room. And, you know, I was like, okay, I hope you feel better. Let me go take care of the kids. But I didn't realize what that really might've meant. And there was some confessionals to me at the end of the marriage. But at that point, I was now in a different position because our kids were older. So now he really wanted to go out and he really wanted to enjoy his life. He'd already been doing it without me knowing. Um, I had heard after I left that he was doing drugs at my wedding, which again was a very religious ceremony with a lot of people, including, you know, our parents who were friends, Mm -hmm. Um, which is just to me that I just can't understand how you can cross that line personally. Um, But there are other lines that were crossed that were just as bad, if not worse. And that's where, you know, I had lost somebody I've said, and someone very close to me. And I went to the funeral by myself and it was in another city. There was no support there. And I came back and I said, I really want to live my life as much as I can. And I'm going to live it for myself and I'm going to live it for her. And, you know, I just want to enjoy And he said, okay. And what he did was he took that to a whole different level. And it meant something different to him than it did for me. Because I spent many hours at home taking care of my children, other people's children, cleaning the house, doing all of that. So I didn't do any of that self-care and self-love. You know, I might have gotten my hair done or what have you. But um, going above and beyond that, I didn't do it. And you were really sacrificing at that time. I was, and I didn't think I was, I thought I was just loving and taking care of, you know, the kids and I loved being with them. And I enjoyed that because that's how I show my affection, what have you. Um, So, so at this point he's, he's ready to, to roll with this. He's ready to roll with like, let's enjoy our life. So figuratively and literally he took my hand and went down a dark path. And it was a path that I did not know existed, kind of like an Alice in Wonderland. And it included going out and doing drugs and drinking a lot and going to clubs and meeting people that were also and already involved in this. 
and I remember being in some situations like, where am I? What's going on here? And the challenge for me was I really was not able to have my own thoughts because he either a would be in my ear saying stuff to me or where we were was so loud. You couldn't even think. Or the last one would be him coming up to me with drugs and like literally forcing it in my face or in my mouth. Or if I said no, it was, why are you ruining the night for everyone or for me? And, you know, so he would guilt whatever you. it was. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of coercion that went on. And then I was like, okay. And then after, after a while of that, whether it be in that night or a series of, of events, it's like, I don't have a choice. There's really no choice. And, you know, this was, we were married for almost 20 years at this point. And, you know, I was that woman that had no money in her own name and no income and all of that. So I was like, what am I going to do? And also at this point, my entire family was alienated. And I come from a very large family and, you know, there's nieces and nephews and cousins and all that. And he had talked poorly about all of them and convinced me that they were against me and us and our kids. And again, this is the man in my house. And I was like, maybe he's right. And so at this moment in time during the day, I'm full on mom room mom taking care of that. I I start programs in my kids' schools. I'm mentoring children. You know, I'm working in the community. I'm doing decorations for big events at, you know, uh, right, right. And I loved it. It it looked, oh, absolutely. And I loved doing all that. That's who I was. Mm -hmm. But when it got dark and the lights turned out, you know, I had to put on a whole different wardrobe and then we'd be with either ourselves or with a group of people. And then what happened, and then what happened, right? And then you want me to go back into the dark dark space. It gets even darker. And the darker part is some of these people that he wanted to impress, he would do so by offering me up as a prize. Mm -hmm. And no, it was not an option, though I tried many times. It was shushing me it was putting their hand over my mouth it was being in a room where I couldn't get out um in the back of a club where there was security and the security you know big guy standing at the door and it's him and his buddy and you know and it wasn't always sex that was offered it was whatever he was feeling at that moment um the first time it was and I really didn't know what to do but what he, what he was really good at was making sure that everyone in the entire room was intoxicated to the point where a rational thought wouldn't happen. And it was a scene that he had possibly witnessed while watching certain videos online or what have you. Um, and I wasn't privy to this. And the word escalate is very popular in like the sex trafficking world or the porn world. I have learned this because I've educated myself on it. And did you say the word escalate? Escalate. They use the word escalation. Escalation. um, Yeah, which I didn't know about, but I, you know, I, I wanted to know exactly kind of what happened to me, and part of me wanted to learn even back then because I, I wanted to know what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. and how to possibly work through it because he wasn't going to stop and he was only getting right. worse. Right. So, so I went on certain websites and I researched and I mean, you know, I listened to your podcast, you know, last few days and I have four pages of notes. I'm always taking notes on, on everything and my four journals. And, and I really, and it was, I mean, it was really something that was very dark and deviant. And for me, if it works for someone else, fantastic but for me it didn't I wanted him to want me and I only wanted him and that was my man I didn't want anyone coming near him and I didn't want anyone touching me either but that was not an option in order for you to have acceptance right correct exactly you wanted that acceptance correct correct Um, so I'm I'm hearing I've written down a couple things sure the the different signs because you know of course I want the audience to know different signs to look Mm -hmm. you know 
Um, I've heard you say alienation, coercion, yep. Yep. Um, drugs, yep. honestly, against yep. your will. Uh, and, you, and, you know. um, and he slowly yes. walked you down yeah. this long road, which yes. is escalation. Even right. though we're saying down the road, it is escalation. Yes. Right? Correct. Escalated Correct. To the point mm-hmm. where you, like you said, you trusted him. You wanted to mm-hmm. make him happy. And we've, you know... I would say just about everyone has been there where they may do something a little bit uncomfortable to them yep. because they're with their loved one. Yep. Trust them. Mm-hmm. And you would feel as though they would not put you in a position mm-hmm. where you can be harmed. Right. Correct. But in this escalation, mm-hmm. it gets to the point where there is harm. There's, there's a lot of harm. And what he would say is, I love putting you in situations that make you uncomfortable. Wow. I know. I know. And, and that was said to me like halfway. So this went on for a good five to seven years Mm. and nobody, nobody knew, nobody knew because I protected him because that's what we do when we're codependent and even if they're abusive, we protect them. Um, We keep the secrets. We're full of shame and even disgust for the situation ourselves or the worst part is it's like three days on four days off four days on three days off they're nice and they're wonderful and they bring you breakfast in bed and they give you a gift or a trip or whatever it is a dinner out and then okay we're going out and i'm going to give you and i'm gonna put you on a table and i'm gonna let these guys do whatever they want with you and the minute you say no and you get up, I'm going to shame you for two days. I'm not going to talk to you for two days. And, and that, you, that, and that was my life. And it's, you, you know, and highs almost, right? well, it was like, it's, it's not, yes. So it's the highs and it's the, please love me, please love me. And also when you have a loved one, and then this could be in any sort of relationship or a child with a parent or even a coworker and a boss. If the attention is taken off of you and put on somebody else or some, I mean, I was surrounded, we were surrounded by women that, you know, were like models or some were. And and so all the attention is now off of me. And it was placed back on me when we were together sometimes, but then sometimes it wasn't. So I was doing whatever I could as his wife to what do I have to do? Who do I have to look like? What do I have to say? I, my, my entire, my entire appearance changed to where some, some of my friends, they saw pictures of me on social media and they would say, Hey, how you doing? Are you okay? And yeah. And I had lost a lot of weight and, you know, I wasn't sleeping because mm-hmm. we would get home very, very late or early and he would still want to do drugs himself and, you know, have the intimate and, you know, it's six, six thirty in the morning. And I'm like, let's, I got to go to bed because eight o'clock, eight 30, those kids are, those kids are waking up. And so, and I would do that and he would sleep till the afternoon and then late, late afternoon. And then what would happen is he would want to go out again. So, you know, I would sleep maybe two to six hours on a weekend. And when that happens, you it's like you're spinning and and, I mean imagine it's like when you have a newborn and you know some of it I could do because I did have two children and you know I'm I'm used to that because that's a muscle that we as mothers usually get but this was different this was exhaustion Mm. you know I knew how I could stand up straight and take care of what I needed to do because you know obligation motivates me um but my soul and my heart, I, I knew were starting to break. Mm-hmm. They weren't as strong. And though I was very religious and spiritual, I, I am. And I had that in our home. And I would make the holiday dinners. What was happening was I realized that the people that I was friendly with in those organizations and the dinners I was making were slowly separated from because he didn't want to go out with them because they weren't as much fun. Right. They were pure. It was, it wasn't his crowd anymore. It was mine. Right. Um, but I, you know, I stopped going to, you know, the women's groups and all of that, that I was a part of, and I really missed it. 
So now I'm with a whole different group of women who are attaching themselves to me or getting me attached to them because they had a different agenda. Mm. And I've said it before, the women are probably better at this than men are because men are men. God bless them. We love them, but they're big boys. You know, women though, if there's a situation that their significant other, let's say their husband or their boyfriend is told that they could have me, let's say from my husband, then that's what they're into without my knowing they'll be, they would befriend me and act as if I was their friend. And I know, and I, it's mind blowing. And I said, if anyone's ever had a bully issue, which is everyone on this planet Mm -hmm. and, you know, growing up and, you know, you might've been the ugly duckling, like I was a little bit and heavy at any point in your life or whatever. And now you, you know, starting to feel good about whatever it is. Um, because everything goes at, at this point, everyone is beautiful in their own way, which I love. Um, but now they want to pay attention to you. It's like the mean girls. They want you in their crowds. And if you're, you know, you don't see, you're like, okay, I'll be your friend. Cause they seem genuine. And they're doing the same thing that your husband was doing. Basically. Absolutely. Right? Oh, absolutely. You'll well, do whatever you need to do to correct. be in that crowd, to get that acceptance. Correct. Correct. You know? And correct. And so, and here's a guy who knows all of my insecurities right. and he's telling people and he's exploiting them. Mm. And so now everyone knows. So, but I don't know this. Right. So I don't know this. And I just, you know, and I walk in with an open heart and, you know, a box of, of cookies and gifts for everyone. When I go into someone's house, you know, I, I never walk in empty handed and they're like, what do you, why'd you bring that? I'm like, cause that's what you do when you go in somebody's home and you know, but you've got a house full of people and they're all holding their red cups and whatever it is. And it's just a different mindset of which I kind of overlooked, which is my, on me. Um, but I really wasn't allowed, so to speak, to not go um, or um, to. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. So I know that you said that there were times where you were, that you would say no. I know oh, that absolutely. you would you know, do some emotional or, um, mm-hmm. uh, did it ever become physical? Was there any physical abuse? Um, so it's funny cause he, he has definitely said to the legal system that there was none, but physical abuse isn't always hitting. Although right. the last time we were together intimate, all he did was slap my face. Um, um, but the physical abuse came in, in the bedroom and it was in the sense of choking me to the point where I pass out and which is really scary to come out of because I had never done that before. I never come out. I've never been passed. I'd never passed out and I would wake up and he'd still be on top of me and performing um, or putting a belt around my neck and from behind without my expecting it. And, you know, he thought that he was being sexy or whatever it was that he says. Um, and then telling people that's what I wanted. And it's, you know, when you, when you pass that, you come out of that and someone's still doing what they're doing. That's really a sick human being. It's, It's unbelievably traumatic. It's unbelievably traumatic. I mean, I think of those moments now, Cause I had forgotten a lot. I have forgotten a lot and it comes out on the strangest at the strangest times. And of course I've learned all these tools for anyone who's been through trauma. It will come out no matter what it will even. So my goal is to let it come out and walk through it. I know that I'm protected now spiritually. I know that I'm protected by all the female ancestors that came before me. Their blood is running through our veins so I know now that I'm not alone and I was protected. Um, so I will say that my goal is to, when you get flashbacks of things like that, you know, you want to face them. Um, if you need support, you know, um, someone can call me or reach out to me or, you know, a hotline or 
you know, you listen to a podcast, whatever it is, because if we don't, if we do not look at these situations and reenact them almost in our head, then they are going to pop up everywhere in our lives for the rest of our lives. So, um, and it'll show up in your next relationship, which is why they say, why do we always choose the same type of guy or the same person? That's why. I mean, that's why I do that work to figure out. Yeah. You got to do the work. Absolutely. Person that you're. um, Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, So, you know, there are some people out there that would say, so did you recognize what was happening? And once you did, why didn't you just leave? Mm -hmm. And that's been, that's been asked quite a few times, even by my family members, especially by, my parents because when I told them they were in shock and I still haven't told them everything to protect them. Um, It's, it's a world that none of us knew existed. Um, Why didn't I leave? There's so many answers for that. Number one, when somebody gaslights you and doesn't, doesn't have you sleeping and gives you drugs and, and with the alcohol, I never made my own drinks. He, he made them, his friends made them. Um, oh yeah. Towards the end, I was waking up in, in a bathroom floor on a bathroom floor, or I'd wake up in someone's house. I didn't know how I got there. Um, and I'm a lightweight, like I get sick. And after a couple, but after a couple of sips of a, a cocktail, do you, do you pass out? Do you, are you unable to walk? No, there's something in your drink. Are you unable to walk? That shouldn't be there. Very possibly. Especially when somebody is recording you, the phone. Um, and so there was a lot that went on. So I wanted to leave, but I had nobody. So now I don't have my girlfriends and my girlfriends are starting to become his friends. And yeah, and they, some of them still are. Um, my parents. When they gaslight, they're so good at it that they can look like the good guy. Correct. Correct. And, and he can he, make your friends think right. that you're the one that's wrong. Well, right. And he's a fine guy and he comes with drugs or whatever, he makes drinks for everyone. And and so he would he he did admit to calling all of my friends um and saying that I was a drug addict and alcoholic. And I cheated on him. Now, remember, I'm the room mom. I'm in the community. I've got their kids at my home, and he's telling this to me. And when I found out I confronted him, he's like, fine, I'll stop. Admits to me, I final stop. But you know, I've I've definitely learned. And people said this to me when you get divorced or when you go into a different part of the phase of your life, you really find out who your real friends are, because people that know me know me. A lot of people said, I don't know why you're with him to begin with. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, I did a lot of apologizing for him in social settings. So why did I stay? I stayed because I was raised in a house where no matter what, you stayed. Um, and I think a lot of women do that. A lot of people do that. Even some guys, I mean, there are some great men out there too. And, but mostly women and we say, because A, we don't have the financial backing or the courage or what do we do with the kids? And it's like, we go through the logistics and what about the animals? And, you know, cause at the end, I knew that if I didn't leave, I was going to be dead within a week because mm-hmm. it had gotten so bad with everything. It was really, it got really scary. If that, uh, everything else was scary. I found out he was dealing. Like, it got really, really scary. Oh and again, I'm still taking my daughter to summer camp and, you know, making my, I'm sure my son picks up his laundry and, you know, and I'm making dinner. I mean, I was still, but all of this other stuff was going on. And I'll tell you what, we are women. We are goddesses of this earth because I think only women could handle this. I really do. And, you know, and not all women could. And, and, um, but again, I think I, I shouldn't say that. I think all women could if, if they, they realize who they are. Right. And I, I didn't to the point where I am now because I've done the work. Um, and even still, I'm, I'm obviously still working through it. And I will be possibly the rest of my life. And that's, I was okay. say that's a, that's a lifelong and, journey. Yeah. That's a lifelong journey because well, yeah. my journey is to obviously help other women or sure. men or children or teenagers even that have any sort of trauma are attached to anyone. Cause you really don't want to have that codependency. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe for yourself, maybe for your pet. I mean, that, that should really be the only, the only one. And even that you have to know that that, 
pet, that loved one is going to go one day and you're going to have to pick yourself up. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a tough battle. Mm-hmm. You know, my best friend, since we were children, um, we call each other soulmates and we admit to like, we're codependent on each other, but it's a healthy codependency because we're there for one another. But, um, she doesn't live in the same city as I do. And, and that's okay. Cause we figured we'd kill each other if we did, but I'm there and she's there. If we need one another and we laugh and we cry and we talk about, and that's a, that's a healthy codependency. Yeah. So I was going to say it's a healthy relationship because you know, of course you both can stand on your own, but when Correct. you need one another, you're definitely right. there for one another. So that right. is phenomenal. That's yeah, what it really, it yeah, really is. Sure. It really is. And yeah. yeah, it really is. And so um, how did you find the strength to get to the point where you're like, no mas, I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, okay. I gotta okay. Hey, good people. Have you discovered that you have codependent characteristics and you're not really sure what to do with that? Well, I suggest that you go out and grab my workbook. It's called The Codependent Me Workbook. You matter and your story matters. And it really walks you through healing from codependency. Talk about your goals, boundaries, detachments, bunch of journal entries, all the things that you need to get started. You can pick it up today at Amazon. Thanks so much. Bye. So, well, I knew I was going to, honestly, I knew that I wouldn't, if I did not leave, I would not be alive for my kids. Mm. And I tried to get, and my children knew, because in the last two years, I kept saying I was going to leave. And again, it was the four days on, two days off, whatever it was, you know, he was nice and the not nice. And the, but then I realized, okay, that there was no more being nice. There was no more Mr. Nice Guy. It was, it was horrific. It was like living on my own. Um, and I tried to stay out of the house as much as I could. Um, we were kind of switching days. At some point, I told my kids that I'm going to stay somewhere else. Um, at a family member's house, which is 10 minutes from them. And I'll come back when he's not around. And even that at that point got to be, I felt too dangerous. I was afraid to touch anything. I was afraid to drink anything from the house or eat anything. I was really, really scared. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I have severe chronic PTSD. Um, it was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, it was diagnosed within that same month. Um, because you know, the difference between chronic and non-chronic is when, um, someone has something that's tragic that they've witnessed or event, you know, it's something like that. It's PTSD, but when it's ongoing, which this was for years, it becomes chronic and it's just a bit, I mean, it, it could be similar symptoms, but it's a little bit deeper. Um, so, so what I was going to say is I tried to get my kids to go with me and they wouldn't. So that was you're older at this point, right? My, my daughter was 13 and my daughter saw everything. She's so smart and intuitive. She even knew the women that I was hanging out with. She's like, I don't like them. You know, I had some that turned themselves into me. They changed their hair color, the way they dressed. They changed their husbands to to be like mine. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it got really bad. Yeah. It got really bad. Um, so that's why I'm saying the women are, can be really bad too. And what was their agenda? I'm not really sure. And at this point, I don't, I stopped asking myself. I went for years trying to put all of those pieces together because they were at least three different groups. Mm-hmm. And I just, I stopped doing that. I realized it didn't matter. You know, the ringleader that he was managed to do all of this and I'm out and I got out. So what I did was uh, slowly, and I tell this to people, slowly put stuff in your car, slowly give things to your family and your friends. And, you know, most of us women have three pairs of shoes and two jackets and anything. And sometimes that's all we need. Um, so I had, I had a car full anyway, and I just, I grabbed a couple of things and I left. My children wouldn't. I actually packed suitcases for them. But my daughter, who was uh, like a young teenager at the time, my son was an older teenager. They didn't want to leave their beds and their Xbox and their pets. And and I, that was really hard for me. So that went on for a good two days to a week. And I was like, what do I do? And then I got that message, get out, get out. And it was the divine intervention. Get out. If you do not get out, you will not be, you will not be here. So I did. Um there was a lot of trickery, so to speak, that he was doing anyway. And I said, I can't go back. And I left. And 
I, I just said, I'll figure it out later. And so, mm-hmm. no, I was just going to ask you. So I know we talked about what I asked you to kind of talk about mm-hmm. the Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could, if you could tell the audience, because mm-hmm. this is big for people yeah. who are in uh, okay. this type of abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, on my website, from the floor to the door.com. And I can explain that too. I wrote a piece about Stockholm syndrome and it's a small piece uh, from the book that I'm writing. And Stockholm syndrome is really defined by anyone who falls for their kidnapper. Uh, that's, that's how it came about. Um, there's a whole meaning behind it. Somebody named Stockholm, you know, how that goes. so um, there are some famous people uh, that have had it. Patty Hearst is one of them and where they get to like Charles Manson, they get to the point where the people that were kidnapped, um, fall in love or get some sort of affection from their, their abuser because the abuser learns how to give just enough to gain that affection and to gain that affinity and that love, um, from the victim. And now there's a codependency that that victim cannot help themselves with. And that's pretty much what happened to me, of course, because now I'm 17 years in, you know, a relationship and, and three pregnancies, two children, all that, you know, our families are close, but it can happen in, in, in lots of different situations. And again, it can be very gradual. Um, it could be something that happens overnight. Uh, and then what happens also is the alienation of anyone who might possibly want to support them. Hey, Michelle, you need to get out of this situation. My best friend came. She says, I'd never seen you look sick before. Um, your, your husband offered me drugs. He told me he was lying on his, on his financial stuff. And, you know, she was a political figure and he's telling her all this and, and she's saying, please stop. And, and she's like, you need to get out. And I was like, I know, but I don't know how, I don't know what, you know, anyway. So, so at that point I'm, I'm pushing everyone away or I'm like, yeah, I know because I loved him and I loved when we were good, you know, and eventually obviously it got to be like a horror movie. So I had to leave, but, um, it could happen though. So it happened. I also noticed from the people around me. So the friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting codependent on them. Um, some of the guys who I thought were like my brothers, um, created an attachment on purpose. Um, they knew what was going on with my assessment. They knew that I didn't want to be in those situations, but in the scenes, in the back scenes, they were possibly in his ear helping him create them or they were lying to him and saying, wow, this, this gal's a really great catch. And I want, he, they would say, can you clone her to him? And so he would be like, here, you can have her. And at this point I'm devastated because these guys to me were like, like I said, like my brothers and I was codependent on them in that sense because I do have brothers that I love. So for me, my love was pure. My connection to them was pure. We would laugh and talk about, you know, fun things, whatever it was. And then they took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And that to me, I mean, all of that was really, that betrayal was, it's so heart-wrenching for someone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, when you get dependent on someone to that point and you think they're loving and kind to you and they're portraying all of that and not abusing you, but yet they have their own agenda, that's really scary because those of us that walk with our hearts open and we're pure and, you know, we speak the word of God or whatever it is, the universe, the divine entity, you know, we really want people to be happy. And I would always say that I want you to be happy. I want you to find love. I mean, I even said that to my ex-husband, just don't come near me. You know, I don't wish ill on, I just, 
quite. I don't. I mean, oh, it's horrible. And I don't wish ill on anyone. It's like, listen, God bless you, but be from afar. Like, just stay on that side of the street. And, you know, anyone who comes near him, you know, I mean, I know he put a tracker in his ex-girlfriend's car. I mean, so it wasn't just me. But, you know, that's somebody else's lesson and that sort of thing. But, But the Stockholm Syndrome is really, it's a bond that, Somebody, it could happen really without them knowing. And, you know, it's really scary. And that's why we as human beings, as women, have to be so deeply rooted in the ground ourselves and not not expect anyone to protect us necessarily. And I'm not saying hyper-independence and I'm not saying girl boss or hustler. I don't really love those phrases. Just be an, an open, beautiful, strong woman who again has the blood of her ancestors running through her, the women before us. And, you know, it took like 4,000 people to create us as one person. So half of that was women, right? So think about that. And their lives were so much harder than ours, what they went through. And we know some of their stories, but if they could do it, we can too. If I can do it, you, yeah. And if I can do it, you can too. So, by yeah. saying that, coming from your feminine, saying, you know what, I'm a strong woman. I'm going to be aware of my surroundings. You know, I'm not going to give my power away, which is what I did. I was really powerful when I met him. And that's what he loved. Yeah. He wanted to ride on my coattails. Yeah. And then I, and then I was like, okay, we're married. He's the man in my house, but I gave the power to the wrong person. Right. And that's, that's the key. And that's the key. The wrong yep. person. For sure. The wrong person. Yeah. yeah. He didn't, yeah. he didn't deserve it. Correct. And like you said, he did not. I'm grateful that you talked about the different signs, you know, the, the wanting to jump into mm-hmm. something very serious, very mm-hmm. good. Right. You know, Correct. alienation, you're telling you mm-hmm. different things are wrong with your family, mm-hmm. trying to pull you away from it. it. Right. You know, so you were able to eventually Remove yourself. Uh, So first it was without your kids? First it was without my children. Um, They wouldn't come. But what happened, what I did was every day. So I stayed stayed at a family member's house that was about 10 to 12 minutes away. Mm -hmm. So every day, my daughter was entering high school. So every day I would wake up. I would go over there before the sun came up to that house where was my home. And I would get her up for school and you know, make sure she got up and, and I made her lunch at the home I was staying in. So I'd bring her lunch and then I would uh, take her and her friend to school, just like I would if I was living there. And then I would go to my religious organizations and I would go into prayer because that's what I, what grounded me, what still grounds me. That's it really helped me. I felt a sense of community. Now he had already made those phone calls. So people didn't. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but it was my safe haven and people started to realize, I think when they saw who, you know, and, um, and then I would pick up my child from school and her friend and then go home and snack. And, you know, my son was older, so make sure he was doing. And so, so I was still doing that sort of thing. It was a little more challenging because I wasn't staying at the house. I would tell him to stay out so I could make dinner for the kids. And sometimes that happened. A lot of times, actually, that happened. And But I wouldn't sleep there. And that was the hardest part for me. I mean, I can think of it now, and I can go right into like being sad. But I knew in the end that we would all it would all work out, and it has. Um, I made sure that they knew they were not abandoned. Um, I became even more of the Uber mother that was texting them and calling them, you know, every hour in the hour, more than I already was, you know, making sure they were good. And Mm -hmm. just that, so that I would keep that connection because that was really important for, for me to have them know. And you know what, they were, they knew they were signs. I mean, there was a hole in the wall that was covered up with a picture. Um, My son had to help me pick up my ex-husband from the bar and put him in the back seat. I mean, there's, you know, a lot, there was a lot. And so they knew that I had to protect myself. And within a month and a half, I was in my own place and, you know, 
and it looked very similar to where we were living and pictures of them all over my place and you know very it's very feminine and that sort of thing and um yeah so i i just i just left and, and at that point once you got your own place did they come and stay with you so my daughter did part-time 50 50 it was um she just turned 18 so we celebrated that for a lot of reasons but so my daughter did my son so my ex is very good and my son has sometimes well he was really he was younger he was five years younger than he is now the inability to distinguish what's real what's not real so my ex-husband started telling stories about me and stories about me and infidelity and things like that, which made no sense to my daughter, who was actually younger, because you couldn't put two and two together. It's like, how would I be doing this if I'm at home, you know, or if I'm at their school, or if I'm at our, our you know, religious organization, and I'm at a, you know, women's group, like, how could that happen? So, you know, she would roll her eyes at her father and say, you know, but, um, so my son decided to stay with his father full time. Part of it's the whole dad thing. And the other part, when he first decided to do that, he says, well, I need to be his father. I need to be the parent because at that time, well, still to this day, um, his dad was going out and drinking and would call my son to pick him up or he'd have to Uber to pick up his car. And apparently that stuff is still going on. I've been told. And my daughter was thrown into the 50-50, which okay. was not, it was not easy for her. And I mean, to this day, you know, living out of a bag, it was just, yeah. it's, a, it's a terrible situation for any child. Mm, um, for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I want to let the audience know that, you know, there are times like if you're in this position, mm -hmm. you may have to completely leave, you know, and not even be able Absolutely. to go back to the house or, you know, Absolutely. do whatever you need to do to uh -huh. protect yourself from moving yeah. absolutely i mean right yeah. and whatever whatever it takes and you know my right. thing is my thing is you know you don't go back to the place that hurt you without right. yeah, without anyone sure. I, I i was i was actually talking to my father about the movers um and i said to him you know when when we had our moving day we both had to move out of the house at the same time and my movers were a couple young guys and they could see and hear my ex yelling at me and mm -hmm. saying things that were so inappropriate that they told him to back down and they would get like physically in front of me and just be like, you know, I want you to walk outside. Right. And yeah. it, it was just incredible. And I will tell you, since I have left in these last few years, I can definitely distinguish a good guy from a bad guy very quickly. And I want to say that, there are a lot of good, decent men out there. They don't look a certain way. They don't act. As, they do act a certain way, but they might look different than what you're used to. They're not always put together. Um, they might have their own issues too, and probably do because we all do. But they're they're gracious and they don't try and show off, mm -hmm. and they're kind and supportive and they'll give you that space to talk um it's good they'll pull your chair out and open the car door mm -hmm. and there are men that are like that i have seen for sure and if you do you know my my recommendation is if you feel in your body that something isn't right it ain't right right and you definitely trust yeah, those signals yeah, within yeah. yourself because your and body my, will tell you what's not good and what's not. I mean, what's correct, bad. right? What bad? And my my thing is now I confront situations. I confront it, mm -hmm. and if somebody overreacts, there's two reasons. It's a they're doing what you're you're asking them about, and you know don't come and accuse somebody. Ask them. Mm -hmm. um, Stephen Covey says, seek to understand, then to be understood. Mm -hmm. So ask a question. Yes. So ask a question. And if the comeback is defensive or what have you, something's up. And your body is going to tell you. Absolutely. The second so thing. The, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, for the second thing. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The second thing is sometimes they will become defensive because that's a childhood wound of theirs. 
being accused of something, having to defend themselves, um, having parents, especially with men, having a mother that's, you know, wasn't kind to them. So that might be a little bit hard to distinguish. But if it's a repetitive thing, something's not right there. Attention for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So from the floor to the door. Yes. You want to talk about it? Mm -hmm. From the floor to the door. So I spent many moments, many days, many years on the floor, mm-hmm. crying on my floor, um, praying on my floor, mm-hmm. hiding in the closet floor, um, passed out on the floor, being put on the floor, mm-hmm. getting sick on the floor, pretending to be sick or sleeping so nobody would come near me. Um, he would yell at me and I'd be crying and I'd go into like the, you know, the fetal, the, the child position or whatever it was. And he would go to sleep. And so I spent many times on the floor. And then one day I went to the door and I didn't look back. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So right now you have a consulting, uh, I want to say agency, but you're also coaching people absolutely um, who may have been in the same situations that you were in in your past. Definitely the same situations, but it, it all looks different. And I've said this before, trauma is like a number line. You know, it starts at zero and it goes yeah. all the way up to infinity. And anyone who's been on that, which is everybody, you know, we still feel it. And we might feel it like, oh, that really bothers us. To the point where, you know, there are some people that do need to be in, you know, in hospital situations, um, not because they're quote unquote crazy or they're an addict, whatever it is, but because they really need some trauma help and it's out there. So I've been doing this for quite a while. I've always been a researcher. I've gone to many, many, many conventions since I was a child, actually. And so I've had the tools and I've been in situations, in crowds, in other situations where I would have a panic attack and or flashback or just feeling uncomfortable. And I've learned how to get through that moment. And I want to share it. And I want people to know most importantly that they are not alone. Because like I said, that moment where you put, put your head on your pillow sometimes can be the best feeling or the loneliest feeling. Right, yeah. And, you know, we're all in this together and we're all the same and you can't see me, but I always say, I look like you, I am you, I hear you, I see you, you know, and I love you and I want people to know that they are loved. Mm. And so if it means you need a phone call or an email or a text message, or you want to learn tools that I've used that have really gotten me through situations, um, any of that. You know, I'm writing a book and my second book is actually going to have a lot more because I've already thought of that one. You know, these things come to us when we're in the shower or that four o'clock hour, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, or when I was on my bicycle an hour ago. So, yeah. So, um, right. So the second book is going to have definitely more of that. I'm creating a workbook, which, you know, all of us, anything that you do to help yourself pen to paper to me is just a beautiful thing. Yes, yeah, because sure. especially if you're feeling anxious, that physical motion is so good for us and the breathing. So those sorts of things, I think, are really great. So from the floor to the door is it's like a Logan of, of celebration. Yes, for sure. And just like just like so many people out there, I'm learning how to celebrate myself even because when we're in the thick of it and, you know, we're always in the thick of something in our lives. You know, I walk around my, my home and it's smaller than what I had. And it's, you know, I could use less than 20 makeup brushes, but you know, there's stuff and, you know, it's very feminine and I've got words and signs written on my mirrors with dry erase markers or things I've put up. But I, you know, I have to really step back and celebrate that I kept this roof over my head for myself and my daughter and my son, when he comes to dinner, because he does that, thankfully, you know, and, um, and yeah. So from the floor to the door, from the floor to the door. So if you want to find out more information 
on, you know, how to contact Michelle or if you want her to do some coaching with her, um, it is www.fromthefloortothedoor.com. Mm-hmm. And um, it is just a phenomenal survivor uh, story that you have and that you've lived and you're mm-hmm. living. Um, I, I honor you for being a vessel for those who may not know what the signs were and now they do, you know, how to possibly get out mm-hmm. of it. How mm-hmm. they do. Exactly. Um, so if there's yeah. anyone that's, that happens to be listening and that's mm-hmm. going through some of the things that you've talked about today, um, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them? The first bit of advice is trust your instincts. We are built, especially as women. That's why we have the babies. If we choose to, and if God blesses us with that, but we have that maternal instinct for the most part. It could be maternal instinct for a stray animal. I mean, it doesn't have to be a baby, but we are born with something inside of us. And, and that's proven through history from the, you know, so I would trust your instinct. If your body and your mind are not in line, there's something off. Um, the second thing is get a support system. And that could be one person, a group of people, your family that you trust. It could be calling a hotline just to talk to somebody. It could be listening to your podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I feel lonely because those moments creep up. Um, If you are in a really rough situation, start getting your stuff together quietly. Take pictures of everything, text messages, emails, um, important forms, take pictures of your children's information. If your children have any sort of a medical condition, school, IEPs, anything you need to do, take pictures of it, keep them in your files on your phone. Um, and slowly put stuff in your car or at somebody's house or work. Um, I would, I would do that. And maybe even a little bit of money if you can. If there's change, you know, in our pockets around the house, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. And there's a lot of organizations to help people, women and men, because it's not just women, but there's, there are a lot of organizations. There's money out there to be had. There's support out there to be had. I have a lot of those. I have a lot of those resources. Um, I've had to utilize them. You know, That's why there. so don't yeah. be, ashamed. don't Nothing be, ashamed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I was, I was living a very luxurious life. People thought on the outside. I was the one who was donating to all these organizations. When I left, I was the one going to the food bank. I was the one, you know, getting help paying my electric bill. And it was very humbling. And it was really difficult for me. But I realized that when you are given a gift or when somebody offers you a gift, and I still struggle with this, is that you're actually giving a gift to that person who wants to give to you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the I would, the gift is in the giving. I would literally give the shirt off my back to someone. And if they said, no, no, no. And they needed it. I would, it would be taking away from me. Absolutely. Which is why, which is why I carry water bottles and snacks in my car for people on the street. So. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show. This is so good. Thanks for having me. And if, even if you don't need coaching, um, I'm, I'm in my blogs. Uh, I've been writing a lot and I'd like for there to be a message every time I write. And it's not the full, you know, full story of what I'm writing. Eventually the book will come out, but I really want to write pieces that help people. Some are from my experience or what people are said. So, um, yeah. So take a look at that. For sure. That's how I, that's where I saw the Stockholm syndrome. Thank you. Like, oh, Thank you. So good. I'm so- really, I'm really proud of that. And you know what? Like I said, writing is so great. Thank you. Because, you know, for many, many years, even still, I was told that, you know, I didn't deserve living. Nobody, if I disappeared, nobody would care. I wasn't important. I know. And I was a healthcare, I went back to being a healthcare worker during COVID. And he kept telling me I wasn't important and I'm not essential and all of that, you know, but like that's what I was dealing with. So I started writing and, 
um, I, I find that it's just, it's really important for us to get messages from anywhere we can. And that's my goal is to give someone a beautiful message and to help maybe understand why they think the way they do and how to move forward from it. Good, good stuff. Good, good stuff. And Thank when you, you uh, when you publish the book, when it's ready, mm-hmm. please come back. Mm-hmm. I would love to have you back on the show. I will. So that you can talk about it and promote Thank it. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it's that. Wonderful. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. So Thank audience, you. I want you to know that I know that you can choose any podcast and you chose this one. And I'm grateful. So, so grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want you to remember that you matter and your story matters mm-hmm. and have a fantastic day. Thank mm-hmm. you. Bye. Have a blessed day. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time. So thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me. And check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.